workshop three, the art and craft of revision, revisioning the poem. Now, I want you to do, turn with me, if you will, to a poem that was actually the reason why I got this idea in the first place. And it is a poem. Maybe some of you will find it before I do. It's, we're going to go back to the beginning, but this poem I'm talking about is not at the beginning. And it is by Walter Savage Landor. And it's real short. It's four lines. That's why I can't find it. What is the name again, please? Huh. It's in my... Hmm. It's... Okay, it is poem of the... It's one of the uh, poems of the day from Poetry Found. Are you finding it? Oh, page seven. Thank you. No, actually. Oh, yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. What am I saying? It's, it, yeah, you can't see it because the blather from my friend Dorrit and I is above it and it obscures it. Thank you, Peter. Um, okay, so the, the, poem, the, the Poetry Foundation, which publishes Poetry Magazine, has a free thing that you can sign up for. Um, and it's poem of the day. And it's every day. It's a different poem. And it's very varied. Do you think it's a good... I it, yeah. yeah, I love it too because it's not, they're not all the same. Yeah. And I mean, you'll find, uh, you know, Dr. Seuss right next to Walter Savage Lander, who is a, a relatively famous uh, 19th century author. You notice I made him a 219th century author, but that is not true. Um, he was much more famous in his day than he is now. But I was looking at this, and for some reason, I didn't see the first line. And I thought, Art. This is just a love poem. Like, and then I thought, and then I read the top line. Soon, O oh, Ianthe, life is o'er, and sooner beauty's heavenly smile grant only, and I ask no more. Let love remain that little while. And I got to thinking, couldn't you have done without Ianthe? Because who is Ianthe? And I don't even. I already hate Ianthe. Whoever it is, I don't want to speak. I, uh, it just it ruined it for me. And also, it would have been fine with me if it hadn't said or. Couldn't you just say over? I mean, these are the kinds of things that are entirely personal with me. You don't have to agree at all. But all I know is that if that first line had not been there, or if it had been soon darling, soon somebody, or soon autumn, or soon sherry, or soon, I don't think Faye would work because it's not got enough syllables. Lalita would have been great soon, Lalita. But then you'd say, but wait, people are th- going to think, as it must happen to you, Lalita, that somebody has misprinted Lolita. <laughs> so then, you know, so what am I doing? I'm mentally revising this poem for this dead poet. And I did look up Ianthe. And, and it was a nickname he gave, I started to say his girlfriend, but no, it was a nickname he gave his unrequited love. His real name was Sophia Jane Monroe or something very similar to that. Well, Sophia would have worked fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would I mean, what's up Sophia. with that? Although maybe she said, don't ever speak to me again, and if you write me another poem, I'm going to kill you. Get a restraining order. I don't like the O 
Yeah, but soon, Tamara, life is over. I mean, we're getting somewhere there. Now, we are not a 19th century poet. No, nothing. I'm just throwing in people's names that syllabically fit. Because sometimes you do do things for rhythm. Let's face it, you do. And why not? Poetry is, in its way, song. But he's managed to make it so very dated in two ways when it's really just this wonderful, simple, exquisite little little love poem. And so it's fun to take a, an author who is, he can't fight back, he's dead. He lived, as you can see, in the 219th century, which puts him deep in science fiction. But, but he is... Uh, and sadly enough, his, his very great fame has kind of waned. He was a good critic, though. Yeah, Tamara. How do you pronounce that name after O? Well, now, see, that's the thing. I'm saying, in my head, Iantha. What are the rest of you saying? Iantha. Or Iantha. Iantha probably is more. But, and then I was thinking, but I.A. is often. Iantha. Suppose it was Yantha. Iantha or Iantha. Yantha, suppose Yantha, and then it becomes Yantha. No, that name's got to go. That's got to go. We'll, we'll just write him this message. Walter Darlin, you're a good man, and according to his illustrations, in, when you Google him, you get a, a wonderful 19th century painting of him, and he was mighty fine looking, too. But poor guy, we're just, we're, we, are, we are demolishing the first line of his poem, only because we want to help you, Walter. It would have lasted into the 21st century if only you had rethought that first line. And his own contemporary said of him, too, you know, he does, he's a bit fusty, sort of like he's a bit dated, and even in his own time. So that was the one that started me off thinking, what about poems that, if they just had a little work, would really be incredibly wonderful? And... Um, Let's going, if we don't mind going back to the beginning for a minute, I just wanted to, to show you the one that had occurred to me as a reason for a whole workshop tonight on revisioning. And we will, and when I say revisioning, I'm not just uh, doing a weird version of revising. I think there are two things. Um, just by revising Mr. Landry's first line, I think we've, without his say so, of course, made a, 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 an awkward a poem that gets off to a very awkward start. We've made it into a, a really very, very lovely, small, memorable, permanently memorable poem. Um, and then I got to thinking that, well, we have changed. We've changed it. We've we revised something which revisioned it as a 21st century poem, or one that's valid, perhaps more valid in the 21st century. I think revising very often is revisioning. And as some of you have had this experience, you revise, and lo and behold, you discover the poem wasn't about that. It was about this. And I'm the, have you had that experience? I see both of you nodding. Nancy, you've had that experience, right? Yeah. Lolita. Yeah. So I got into email conversations with a bunch of poets. And this is what this handout, which we're not going to go through page by page because we want to get to your things too. But uh, there's this wonderful poem who, when I wrote to my friend Moira Egan, and she and I go way back and we've edited an anthology of sexy sonnets together. and um, So she responded with this, and also a, a note to all of us, for a hilarious take on all of this, an entire book of messed up poems. There's W.D. Snodgrass's Decompositions, good for, <laughs> for shooting the coffee out of your nose. And they are, they are so funny because they are 
Oh, they leave a lot to be desired. Tara, did you get a, any of the handouts? Did you get the one we're working on right now? The gentleman who just arrived. Oh, that's two R's, not an is to Rod. Um, so she's contributed this because, you know, it's really like shooting fish in a barrel to say ha-ha at a lousy poem and say, you know, oh my God. But when you have a really good poem where something troubles you, uh, I think that's, that's sort of something worth looking at. And she was troubled um, by the line which we haven't gotten to yet because we're going to get a reader to read it out loud to us. But bear in mind, a oh reader, that the poem goes over on the next page. Have we got a volunteer reader? It's the one by on the very first page of the handout, the poem by Al Zalinus. Oh, you know what? We're going to do the... Faye, you're going to be the cutoff point for that mic then. Nancy, you're the cutoff point for this mic. So. Tussing, Tussing is this thing on. <laughs> and I don't know what the title is. Right. I think it was titled, but I don't know. Um, I guess um, I can see it. It's called Zen of House Work. Yeah. Right here. Okay, right. It did it just didn't print. Yeah, thank you, Zen of Housework. Because uh-huh. it was in color. Okay. All right. <clears throat> can anybody hear me before I begin? All right, all right. Um, Zen of Housework by Alzalinas. I look over my own shoulder down my arms to where they disappear underwater into hands inside pink rubber gloves moiling um, among dinner dishes. My hands lift a wine glass, holding it by the stem and under the bowl. It breaks the surface like a chalice rising from a medieval lake full of the gray wine of domesticity. The glass floats, floats to, my, to the level of my eyes. Behind it, through the window, above the sink, the sun, among a ceremony of sparrows and bare branches, is setting in Western, Western America. I can see thousands of droplets of steam, each a tiny spectrum rising from my goblet of gray wine. They sway changing directions constantly like a school of playful fish or like the sheer curtain on the window to another world. Ah, grace, sacrament of the mundane. Thank you. Nice reading. Uh, So much to love in this poem, at least I think so. Does anything strike you all? What was your question? Uh, I think there's a lot to love in this poem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Other images that strike you? What about that gray wine? That's the dirty dishwater. Yeah, the dirty dishwater. I, I love it when a poem makes me think of something in a way I never thought of it before, but now I actually will. I mean, it's icky, but now it's beautiful and still icky. But yeah, I mean, I love that. Moira's point was oh, Al, did you really need that last line? Because once you've said, I see her point, they sway, changing directions constantly like a school of playful fish or like the sheer curtain on the window to another world. I mean, what can you say after you say a window to the other world? Instead, he jumps back and says, 
See, see, see what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, and and the thing is, the the poem is so wonderful. He doesn't need to say that to us. I mean, he doesn't have to get in our face. He can just leave us with that window to the other world, which has taken us so far beyond the task at hand. So I, I just thought this more. Had, I, I was I grateful. It, I think it takes away from the humility of the Zen exactly. aspect. Right after showing us how beautiful something as washing dishes can be, comparing it to a sunset over mm-hmm. Western America, then he, he brings us right back to say, see how humble I'm being yeah. by telling us that it's mundane. Right. I, we already have that. Yeah. I mean, sacrament is a pretty sacrament. wonderful world, but we already have the whole chalice yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, we get it, Al. And you know, the funny thing is she actually knows him personally, so she did email him and said, so who knows, maybe in some published version, uh, you know, he has uh, actually changed it. Um, I emailed my friend, uh, Ilsa Monroe, um, who used to be the online editor of Little Patuxent Review, which I suggest to all of you. It's a really, really wonderful magazine. And Lalita there was the guest editor of the last issue, which was on medicine because this is, a, a, on science, excuse me, because uh, besides being a poet and a fiction writer, Laliata is a scientist. So it's a, great, it's a mm. great publication. Ilsa said the following, and just glance at it yourself. Uh, she's talking about an Auden poem, mm. which was published with the line, we must love one another or die. And later, as she calls it, the wimpy change, we must love one another and die. Like, first you're here, now you're gone. What, what's, the, what's the, you know, life's a bitch and then you're dead. But um, she, she said sort of like changing howl to scowl. And if you're familiar with Allen Ginsberg's famous uh, iconic poem, Howl, just imagine if it was called Scowl. <laughs> oh, God. I wish he were alive. He would appreciate he would appreciate the comedy of that. You mean Ginsburg? Yes, oh, Ginsburg, yeah. who is a wonderful, wonderful that's, human being. That's pretty hilarious. And Ilsa added, and of course she's, she's now thinking of herself as just a person in everyday conversation. She says, he's a good doctor, even though he says, how are we today? She cites that question as an example of how swapping out one word for another would be a really good idea. <laughs> really good Really good. <laughs> Thank you for not calling me we. I want to put that in doctors' offices. Uh, and then uh, the only one there are there the only one here that I, I included it, even though it's it's just a, a, a poem, a, a draft by me that started out with unnecessary stuff. And some of you may. I can't even bear to, I, I won't read the, the original version out loud. The, the, it was called A Fine and Private Place, which is a quotation from Andrew Marvel about the grave. And, um, the quote, and there's a quotation, which I do think is important, by the poor woman who was this uh, young assassin's mother. My son murdered 12 people. I'm glad he's in a place where he can't hurt anyone else. And that place is death. So then I blather on like a full on and on. And finally, I uh, got to, uh, for four lines, which are like eternity looking at it now, I'm thinking, what was I thinking? And um, she simply said, 
if you just would get rid of those atrocious first four lines and start with, I go to his old room, it might almost be, you know, it might almost be a good poem. And I, I stuck it in here without those four lines because I don't know about you, but when I'm revising, I can't just cross out lines and look at the same piece of paper or the same screen and see the poem that way. I really have to see it with those lines really gone. I mean, gone, gone as gone can be, not just crossed out. I think that's an important, an important moment. I think it was even more dramatic when you retyped a poem on a little Olivetti portable manual typewriter. Yeah, that took some work. And then by then you knew it was a new poem. But I do think that's an important step. So anyway, I just, I just threw those in here because it's an embarrassing example. Dorit had volunteered an embarrassing mm. example of her own. And I said, no, Dorit, you're one of my best friends. It's not going to be happening. So I found one that was really, you know, had some really, really bad lines and threw it in here. Oh, me. I mean, I, I'm, I don't even want to hear those lines. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm kidding you, Ross, but I, I, they pain me so much that I could have ever thought it was a good idea to have them in here. Um, there are a bunch of other examples, and I included the comments by people that explain why they thought there was a problem. And... Sometimes the problem is that the poem wants to be more than one poem. And I think, and this happens to me all the time, it happens to a lot of poets that I know. You want to put everything in the same basket because you're on a roll and don't realize until later that perhaps it's two poems or perhaps that your connections are so difficult that the reader may not be able to get them. And with this poem by the wonderful, wonderful poet, Naomi Shahib Nye, um, in uh, uh, Shihib, I'm sorry, I pronounced it wrong, Fundamentalism, which is on page six. Now, you may be smarter than I am, but I had a real difficulty with the poem because I never could be sure I was satisfied with my mental efforts to connect the two parts of the poem, but I love the two parts of the poem. Now, to me, to you, they may be abundantly clear, but I thought it was a, a good example, at least, of a poem, which, to me, I couldn't figure out the connection between the parts. And maybe if I listen to one of you read it. Did you get a handout? And tell us your name also. Um, my name is Yvonne. Yvonne Holton. And I'm oh, right, right. I remember you. I, I, I remember you from last week, but you didn't have your hat on. That's why, yeah, you know. I'm sorry, and I'm going to put your name up here, and you do have it, so that's good. And I bet if, if I listen carefully to somebody else read it, it might dawn on me what, how the, the has of these poems really connect. I mean, I can see a connection, but I, I'm, sure not, I'm still not sure it's not two poems. You've got a volunteer reader? She, thank you, Tarad. Oh, and you're going to need, you probably don't need it, but for the podcast you do. Um, no, it's the one on page six. called Fundamentalism. Okay. And, yeah. 
And that's the whole thing. It doesn't end with a period, but that is the whole poem. Fundamentalism by Naomi Shahib Nye. Because the eye has a short shadow, or it, it is hard to see overheads in the crowd, if everyone else seems smarter, but you need your own secret. If mystery was never your friend, if one way could satisfy the infinite heart of the heavens, if you liked the king on his golden throne more than the villagers carrying baskets of lemons, if you wanted to be sure his guards would admit you to the party, the boy with the broken pencil scrapes his little knife against the lead, turning and turning it as a turning and turning it as a point emerges from the wood again. If he would believe his life is like that, he would not follow his father into war. Is there more? So I don't know. What do we make of this? All of a sudden, I, I'm beginning to think I do get it. But there are two followers. Ah, well, there you go. Explain what you, can you explain what you mean a little bit more? With the very first word, words, because the I, they are being written by the pencil, the pen, the pencil, whichever you choose, which in this context of following his father into war, I like the imagery right away. And you can't really see the story until it's been written. And you have to go to the end, which the body of the poem I look at, look at as the heads in the crowd. Everyone else, every, if everyone else seems smarter, but you need your own secret, I'm not quite sure about that and the mystery behind it, but I think it's intentionally drawing us into the story of why we make decisions whether it's by faith in the case of the suggestion of fundamentalism or simply because his imperial, his kingly ruler has said so. But if he could sharpen his own pencil and turn his life around and around, might he not make another decision? That's what I'm getting through from it on the first read if, if what I said followed in logical sense. So has, has the mystery been solved? I kind of think so. I don't know. I, I guess I, there's, a, there's a school marm half of me that says <laughs> if, he could, if he would believe his life is like that. Can you write your own story? Yeah. When you're caught up in the larger milieu around you. If you could believe that you were able to write a life in which you can keep your secrets... Yes. And satisfy the heart of heaven, and like the king on the golden throne, and would be admitted to the party. Okay, okay, Tom. Okay, Tim, you've, you've explained it. 
Maybe I rebelled so much that I automatically didn't like it. No, I get it. I, get I didn't it like now. the story, but I liked the poem. Right. So the, there's a real case in point here. First of all, I think, I, think, I don't know whether, did, did Tim's take on this help there to appear to be a, a real connection between the, the, the first half and the second half? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's extremely helpful. And this is another point about workshopping a poem, revising it. Sometimes you get tons of good advice. Sometimes you have somebody sitting here like me saying, well, I think it's really two poems. I think you need to make the connection clear. And then along comes another way of looking at it that proves it's fine. Don't change, don't change it. it. It works. So thank you. I really, I really appreciate that. We're going to... Uh, well, I still think it's two poems, but two halves make a whole. Yeah. yeah. It, but the, the two halves right. connect. You, you've got the father's yeah. kingdom and the child's development. Yeah. That's two different stories yeah. making one big story. And which one will the child choose? Yeah. I mean, I didn't say, I, you know, you have, so actually, you've convinced me it very, is one very, poem, Various but. gradations of that. I mean, what is it? No two people read the same story? Right. And that is certainly true. But you've really helped me see connections Thank there. You. And I appreciate that okay. enormously. Can you can have a Everybody can have a cookie. Why are these cookies just sitting here? Are they that lousy? Have a cookie. Um, since we're so close to it, I wanted to, and it really follows from looking at uh, Nye's poem and realizing, wait, I was being unfair to it. If you will look at Marianne Moore's two versions of the, her very famous poem called Poetry. I'm a better cook than that, Tamara. They just didn't turn out very well. The, the, the things in them are dried cranberries. Oatmeal and dried cranberries, yep. So, page eight, ma'am. Oh, okay, please do. Yvonne does have some further thoughts on, on Nye's poem. Okay, as I was saying, at first it looked like two poems to me, but the more I look at it, the more I see a connection between all the questions that are being asked and then the part about the boy and his pencil. Um, because I'm thinking that life asks a lot of questions and there are no easy answers. And life is a lot like a pencil. We even need a good eraser. <laughs> because we do have to keep sharpening the point and redefining and reinventing. Mm -hmm. And we still don't have all the answers. So I see one poem. Great. Well, a connection. And your point about the eraser, even though it's not mentioned here, if he could believe that there was a life where answers could be tested and erased and other answers, yeah, and it connects. What you said also helps with the title. The title. Yeah, it helps. It helps me understand the title better. Yeah, because it's all fundamental, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I'm liking this poem better and better. 
It's a thinker. Yeah, and that's a, a, another thing that uh, I think all of us here are slightly older than sophomores. And um, I know that it's very, it's often you have to urge people not to reject something because you don't get it the first time around. It may just, in fact, if you do get it the very first time around, maybe it's just a little, a little too simple. But, um, but Marianne Moore did one of the most famous hatchet jobs on her poem in all of poetic history. She wrote the uncut version of a poem called Poetry, and here it is. Um, and it's actually quite long, and it's very, very rich in imagery, so it wouldn't uh, do any harm to read it. Um, and let's get a reader per stanza. How about that? And let's just start. Um, I know, this, there's enough stanzas. If we start with, oh, you've, you already read today. If we start with Lolita and just go across the back row, there's enough stanzas to go around, I think. It's on page eight, reading the uncut one, because I think it's only fair to read that one first. It was first. The uncut version, right? Yes. All right, the uncut version. Um, I do dislike it. There are things that are important beyond all this fiddle. Reading it, however, with a perfect contempt for it, one discovers in it, after all, a place for the genuine, hands that can grasp eyes that can del- sorry, hands that can grasp, eyes that can dilate, hair that can rise. If it must, these things are important, not because Nancy? a high-sounding interpretation can be put upon them, but because they are useful when they become so derivative as to become unintelligible. The same thing may be said for all of us, that we do not admire what we cannot understand, the bat holding on upside down or in quest of something to eat. Elephants pushing a wild horse taking a roll, a tireless wolf under a tree, the immovable critic twitching his skin like a horse that feels a flea, the baseball fan, the statistician, (laughs) nor is it valid to discriminate against business documents. And Top of page nine. And school books, all these phenomena are important. One must make a distinction. However, when dragged into prominence by half-poets, the result is not poetry, nor till the poets among us can be literalists of the imagination above insolence and triviality as can present. For inspection, imagery gardens with real toads in them shall we have, shall we have it. In the meantime, if you demand... On the one hand, the raw material of poetry in all its rawness, and that which is on the other hand genuine, you are interested in poetry. 
that that last section contains a very, very famous line, yeah, imaginary gardens with real toads I in love them. That yeah. line. Some, I some love people that. say it's their definition of poetry. But yeah, but the reason why it's hard to read this poem in sections is that Marianne Moore was one of the only poets in the English language who experimented with syllabics. In other words, what governs where lines are cut is the number of syllables in the line. And so each of these stanzas has exactly the same, like line one has the same number of syllables in line one in the next stanza and the next and the next. And the way she did it was not very complicated. She simply wrote one stanza that she liked and then used that syllable count for all the rest. I mean, she herself was very humble about her own methods, which were pretty straightforward and yet quite weird and produces quite a weird effect. Um, so she's got some great imagery there. We do not admire what we cannot understand. And then she makes a list that's one of the weirdest lists I ever saw in my whole life. I like it. Uh, no, the immovable critic twitching his skin like a horse oh, that feels a flake. God, I love it. Oh, oh. Yeah. James Joyce called them crickets. Yeah. Which did she publish? We'll get there in a second. Oh. Just looking at this imagery, well, that we do not admire what we cannot understand. But then you look at the list and we see that critic, which we just want to smack to death. But uh, do we not understand a baseball fan? And the well. Sometimes you wonder why a statistician becomes a statistician, but, but it's okay to like counting things and developing theories about them. So I have the feeling, and this is borne out by her own, her own uh, comments, that when the question was raised by an awful lot of readers saying, I kind of admire elephants pushing. In fact, I think bats are way cool. Or... Um, a wild horse taking a roll. I mean, what's not to just fall down and faint, you know, if you've ever seen any horse. I mean, even a Arab's horse lying down and taking a roll. They love snow. I bet they're doing that. They did that today. A tireless wolf. So I think somebody must have said to her, um, about that list of things we do not admire because we can't understand. I mean, we can't understand a lot of those things, but didn't you sort of lose it when you came when you when you were making that a whole list of things we do not admire? So her her decision about what to do, if that was an, indeed a valid criticism, and, and 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 Matthew, you're shaking your head. Is that do you regard that as an invalid? Somebody did tell her that. A lot of people told her that. Like your list is weird. But um, so rather than thinking, you know, maybe sorting it out, she and this poem had already been published. And um, so rather than sorting it out, when uh, an anthology wanted it for an, another edition of itself, probably sort of like the Norton Anthology, she said, okay, I, I, I want to revise it slightly. So she cut off the whole poem, except the first five lines. And we ought to listen to that again, since now it's the whole poem. Have we got a reader for the whole poem? Autumn, how about it? No, just, just read it so we can see uh -oh. it and think of it. Okay, now we're going to squint our eyes and concentrate real hard on thinking of it as the whole poem. 
I too dislike it. There are things that are important beyond all this fiddle. Reading it, however, with a perfect contempt for it, one discovers in it, after all, a place for the genuine. Yeah. Yeah, I want the real toads back. <laughs> but, um. How do we know the line about the toads? Because the both poems, have, both versions have been published. Oh, both have been published. Right, both have been published. I, 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 I frankly would have liked the last. No. Yeah. The, the very last stanza. Yeah. Yeah, I, I included this in here simply as an example, even though I love it conceptually that she did cut off the whole poem and say, here it is. And um, there you have it, Mr. Norton. Um, but I do think that it was one of those classic examples of maybe over-revision by absolute, by absolute massacre. But then I just have to, I'm not going to ask you to take your own time for it, but I did, I did the same thing uh, with a poem of mine called In Velvet. And it has two versions, and both of them have been published. And I actually... Don't know which. Well, I do. I know. I know which one of the two. The one that's called In Velvet. But look at it sometime on your. Yeah, it's mine. But the thing is, and both of those have been published too. But um, my short version was the first, and then mm. people were saying, "Yeah, well, we oh, just don't get it." And I'm thinking, "Oh, but I want you to get it. I want you to get it." So the long version came about, and they've both they've both been published. But I. Well, what do you think, Tim? You're gonna, you're gonna I tell love us. the uh, first three lines of the long version. Yeah. Oh, this is how my woods grow, a tree behind a tree behind a tree, and so on to the edges of the mine. That was just fantastic. Yeah. I sort of like that, too, now that you mentioned it. So this is, this is an example. It's a classic example of poetic indecision. And as I say, I... I have no real preference because you convinced me. I sort of, sort of like the second one too. But um, it's a sort of Marianne Moore in reverse thing where I wrote more poem because people were saying, "Well, hmm, we, we're not quite sure we grasp anything about the short version." I also need to tell you another thing, and this is a workshop story. I, I was, I was leading a, a very, very, it wasn't a workshop, I don't know what it was because it had like 60 people in it, it was at Goucher and it was for their adult education uh, and one of the people in the group wrote the line these, or the part line these obsessive woods and every every one of those 60, well 61 people, because I did it too obviously went back and made that into a poem of their own. People fell so in love with that phrase, these obsessive woods. I get really cold chills thinking about it myself. And I think in the, in, when, that, when the short edition was published, I think I did attribute that line to the, to the person who thought it up, which was not me. So there's nothing like being in a group of people like yourselves to, to help people you know, really uh, cross-fertilize and, and really uh, get lots of things from each other. And one other classic example of enormous revision, which whereby 
most of the poem was revised out. There's a, a, one of the Poetry Foundation's poems of the day was Wild Peaches by Eleanor Wiley. And it's long, and it's a series of sonnets, and um, a series of mostly Petrarchan sonnets. And uh, it makes the Eastern Shore, she was from New England, and it makes the Eastern Shore sort of an earthly paradise of lusciousness and wonderfulness. And, and uh, it's a rich and marvelous poem. Um, and there's all sorts of good stuff, and it's not all... Well, it is a little bit paradise-like in that it's got the skins of garter snakes and water moccasins. I mean, it's even got the snake. It's just luscious, 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 luscious. And then you come to section four, which some of you will recognize because this one is this section is really famous. Does anybody know what this section has always been published in anthologies as its own freestanding sonnet? It's called Puritan Sonnet. And we need a reader for it because this is what this fourth this fourth section sonnet made her get rid of all the rest of the sonnet. Tamara, you're on. How many teasers? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you had your hand up to read it. It was. Oh, was, was another was another person who hasn't read also having a hand up? Microphone. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's let have let's Matthew have a go at it. And you had a question too, right? No, no, no. Uh, no, go, because, because Tamara's already read one. I'm sure she'll read one again. <laughs> Down to the Puritan marrow of my bones, there's something in this richness that I hate. I love the look, austere, immaculate, of landscapes drawn in pearly monotones. There's something in my very blood that owns bare hills, cold silver on a sky of slate, a thread of water churned to milky spate, streaming through slanted pastures fenced with stones. I love those skies, thin blue or snowy gray, those fields sparse planted, rendering meager sheaves, that spring briefer than apple blossom's breath, summer so much too beautiful to stay, swift autumn like a bonfire of leaves, and sleepy winter like the sleep of death. I heard, I heard a sigh from Tamara, wasn't there? Was it? it was somebody over here on the side. Yeah. That was really, I mean, first of all, Right, it's a it's a beautiful, perfect Petrarchan sonnet. Yeah, it really is. It, I mean, by Petrarchan sonnet, in case you're not familiar with it, it's a, a standard 14-line sonnet that has a standard rhyme scheme that is really difficult because you don't get to you have a lot of similar you have to rhyme on a very few sounds: bones, hate, immaculate tones, own slate, spate stones, and um, the 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 sestet, which is the last six lines, has a different rhyme scheme with a different very small set of words. So it's technically beautiful, but I'm not sure that's the only thing to sigh about here. Other other sighable things? Other things beside the fact that it's a really well put together sonnet. Anything anything else that's huh? Oh, it's a it's a Petrarchan sonnet and gotta do this. 
one of it. And one of its defining characteristics beside the standard 14 lines of iambic pentameter that goes da dum da dum da dum da dum da dum. Um, it's got a rhyme scheme that goes like this. And this can vary. It can be C, C, D, D, E, E. And in her case, I think it's this one. In fact, what one is it? Gray sheaves breath, stay leaves death. Yeah, she used this one. And, uh, yeah, but what's interesting is that is there's very, there's, Wonderful imagery here. I mean, did, it, did any of it strike any of you as being well, particularly? The whole thing. I mean, the whole thing. You can't, it's hard to even isolate isolate words. And notice that an apple blossoms breath, summer, yeah. so much too beautiful to stay. That's almost Shakespearean. Yeah, and it's also this is a form that since it asks you to write in iambic pentameter, but which is the Shakespearean line, it, it's going to sound a little Shakespearean, but. But notice that if you look back, just take a minute and look back. We don't. We, I don't want. I want to get to some of your own things, but just look back at the uh, the rest of the poem. <laughs> notice what this last fourth section does to the whole rest of the poem. There's, there's a lot of the seasons in all of them. But the chronology of the seasons where she does spring, summer, autumn, winter. If she starts in the body of the poem, she starts in one of those two. But what else? There's something so so huge here. I mean, it's it's. Don't, don't sweat the little stuff right now. Deep in this. Deep in the Puritan marrow of my bones, there's something in this richness that I hate. Yeah, but it dies. the New England yeah. seasons to the eastern shore. Sure. I mean, notice that you say, it's addressed to somebody, right? When the world turns completely upside down, you say, we'll emigrate to the eastern shore aboard a riverboat from Baltimore, live among wild peaches, peach trees. You'll wear a coonskin cap. I mean, hasn't somebody invited Eleanor Wiley or the speaker of this poem to, to live with him and be his love, and they will all the pleasures prove on the eastern shore where everything is hunky-dory and rich and luscious and the winter short, the summer long, tasting of skyder and scuppernong. Do you know what scuppernong is? First, of the first stanza. Huh? Right, made from scuppernong grapes, exactly. And I mean, even the squirrels are just having the best old time. Notice the colors in the number two. Blooms on grapes, purple, brown, and gold. Little puddles roofed with glass. The sun burns copper into brass, melts these at noon, and the boys can't keep their mufflers on because it's just so hot. And oh, peaches grow wild, and pigs can live in clover. Barrel of saltary is just edible and rich. And then the months between the cherries and the peaches are brimming with cornucopias, which spill fruits red and purple, somber bloomed and black. 
bright persimmons, partridges. We shall live well. We shall live very well. And then look at that last stanza. Down in the Puritan marrow of my bones, there is something in this richness that I hate. Yeah. So complete. Isn't it kind of a complete rejection? Yeah. In other words, she's, yeah. she's the Puritan won't accept all this lushness. Yeah. They want the yeah. austerity. And also, yeah. is it? I mean, even though scuppernong grapes are pretty yummy, and and yeah, yeah people do kill partridges, and I'm sure somebody somewhere on the eastern shore still has a coonskin cap and wears it. But isn't it? She's rejecting all this lusciousness that seems almost like an Eden-like imagination. And also the guy who's proposing this. You say this is what we're going to do, and won't it all be woo-hoo, you know? Uh, she doesn't know what she missed. Right. And I, I kind of feel that way about a lot of this stuff, too. But she, this is certainly a very powerful rejection of everything in the previous part of the poem. And... The only part of this poem that has been allowed to survive is the last stanza, which is always published separately, well, called shame. Puritan Sonnet. But I think it was her idea. I don't think any posthumous editor would do that. But uh, you never know. But uh, it's another example, I think, of fairly dramatic revision. And in a way, you almost have to suspect it's a life-level revision I'm going to take away all the rest of the poem. I'm also not going She's to go to the Eastern Shore with you. But so it probably has two forms of rejection. But she clearly rejected her own poem, all except the part that that does that very very thing. Well, um, what? You know, I, she reminds me a little of was Gerard Manley Hopkins. You know, all those wonderful images. Yeah, piled on. Of, of so much of a muchness. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, I wanted to ask you to look at um, some of the poems that came in from uh, last week. That um, there is a separate thing that starts with with Rosalind Spawn. And uh, and these were for people that weren't here last week. One of the things we did, we were talking about. Oh, and I, I made separate copies. I, I do have a copy of your Froggy poem. And, yeah, and I do have a copy, Joel. Yeah, right. And, Joel, I made copies of yours, too, okay? It was just they came in too late for, for Kim to, to run off, so I just ran off copies. But, but let's just start in order with what we've got here. And uh, for people that weren't here, one of the, since our theme was ekphrastic poetry, which is simply poetry about works of art, or that take off from works of art. We had a little field trip outside, and, and there's a uh, so the, the, the Black History Month exhibit curated by Jean Thompson out there is quite wonderful. And so I think a lot of us got poems out of that. And so we're looking at these just because because here they are, and they're interesting, and they're based on the ekphrastic exercises we did last week. But also because some of you, as because we are after all workshoppers, some of you may have suggestions and. Um, of, of ways to revise or, or ways not to revise. The recommendation also could be don't change anything. So, um, author, Rosalind, could you read That's yours, right. please? Yeah, could you pass me that? Incidentally, I did find a comic book. I mean, this whole stuff is alternate universe material. Yeah. 
I was unaware. I mean, I just want to. Yeah. Look. Last week we had a person here whose name was Quentin, and he. Uh, what happened to him? Because he. I don't know, of, but I will want him back because. Oh gosh, because, he yeah. was an expert on spawn. Yeah. <clears throat> but he he really he really knew he was uh, a visual artist, but he also really knew the whole background on spawn, which, uh, not everybody does, and I think <laughs> that's okay because you were taking an entirely different approach to yeah, yeah. to this. Uh, action figure, which if you want to take a look at him outside, he's there in the window with the dolls. So, Rosalind, you're on. Sure. Black spawn, black man, action hero. Fight for justice when you can. Born of darkness, born of night. Save the world, I hope you'll try. Catsuit, codpiece, what a sight. And grenades strapped to your thigh. To think we met just yesterday when you played a minor part in Pratt's second-floor display of relevant black history art. Black Spawn, black man, action hero, once a movie, now a toy for every 13-year-old boy. Yes, it's true you come asunder, so warning labels do exist about your body parts, no wonder, and weapons, they're a choking risk. Spawn, a movie, action toy, with your backpack that reveals the missile launcher it conceals, your comic book perfected art brought to life to break my heart. Black spawn, black man, action hero, born of darkness, born of night, fight for justice when you can. So I'll try to set you free, drop those weapons for us to see, then we'll walk into the light as comic art was meant to be. Black spawn, black man, born of darkness, born of night. Fight for justice when you can. We'll save the world and make it right. And, of course, here he is. Comments? Some of you who were here last week remember that Roslyn actually jotted this much of this down last week and read it and it seemed kind of finished at the time but you don't tell us about them right now but but lots of big changes have been made right mm -hmm. and comments mm -hmm. suggestions <laughs> yeah please take a minute because there's a lot here Don't all speak at once. <laughs> They're thinking. Thinking is good. Hmm? Well, I tried to make it sort of like a child's poem. I, I was listening to some kind of like rap music at the same time. And, hmm? Yes, sorry, it is. What are you talking about? Yes, I wrote it. I mean, I, what happened is last week, were you here last week? Uh-uh. Okay. We went outside, and in the case, if you look at the picture, it's on the second page here, that's the action hero that's out there, that's the real thing is out there, and I, I really didn't know anything about it, I mean, I just worked on it, and then I went home and did a little bit of research and actually found a comic book. Was it Marvel? No, not Marvel. Here you can look at that. That it's a it's a whole it's a whole series. This is 
Todd McLean or somebody who, I mean, this whole comic book world is just beyond weird. I had no idea, no idea. And I started, I think I showed you some of the stuff, the pictures of the spawn. Huh? No, of course not. I grew up reading comics, my goodness. But I love comics. But what's happened is they've gotten so totally weird. And, and people's bodies come apart and they turn into devils and they die and they come back to fight. I mean, it responded, it, yeah. Yeah, that's what the guy said. I mean, he told me all this stuff. And, huh? This, this is like mythical. It is. It's a false mythology. But the po I just sort of wanted to make it like a sing-songy, kiddie thing that kids could jump rope to or something, you know, double Dutch bus or whatever. I mean, it's it's just a, a, a sort of a child's play poem, really. It's what I turned it into. But is it? I mean, it's just weird. I mean, this whole spawn thing was so weird when I started looking it up. I mean, I didn't even want to continue it, but I figured it would. So. So you regularized the rhyme and the rhythm to make it oh, more Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, worked, I wanted to make it like something a child would use to play, like a jump rope or a toy or a patty cake, or, you know, something like that, to give it kind of a beat. Black spawn, black man, action hero, fight for justice when you can. Born of darkness, born of night, save the world, I hope you'll try. You know, that sort of thing. Who, who are, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, as you read it and even now as I read it you know you're saying um, do this, do this, save the world I hope you try, all of that and then this second to think we just met yesterday when you played a minor part in Pratt's second floor display of relevant black history art. Um, I think I, I would like the poem more personally if those lines were out because it's um, it then brings you... Uh, like, to think we just met yesterday, it's kind of taking you out of the poem and out okay. of the cat suit and grenade strapped to your thigh, and then I would go right to Black Spawn, Black Man, Action Hero, Once a Movie, Now a Toy. I feel that these four lines sort of um, intrude. Okay, if, that if, makes sense. If that, I know, and that's just my opinion, obviously. And grenade strapped to your thigh. Okay, then just then just go black spawn, black man, man action hero. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's yeah. that's good. I mean, it would make it more of a sing-songy jump yeah, rope. And it takes, because it's I don't know I that we just met yesterday. Uh, I know why you did it because you're talking of off relevant Black History. Art. No, I was talking about and, going out and looking. At yeah, the yeah, yeah. But then, but you're relating it to the Black right, History. But right. it's sort of. Um, Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's just me. No, I think that's a very good, a very good suggestion. I mean, it's yeah, I, 
As I said, I think I walked into something, a deeper swamp than I thought I could swim out of. (laughs) (laughs) No, then it goes... Other other suggestions? I mean, that's a really... That's helpful. That was good. No, thank you. I appreciate that. That's a very good suggestion. Not that this will be immortal, but... That struck me as well. You could keep yourself in the poem as well, but maybe find a different way of staying. Yeah, instead of to bring it out back to the reality of the thing. If if that if those four lines go, and I I think I tend to sort of side on that come down on that side too, then the only the only use of us and we I think will be at the end. So that raises a question to me of who are the us and we. Oh, I've joined up with him to save the world. Okay, so. Okay, you're brought to life to break my heart, black spawn, black mask. Roslyn, I don't think the I'll, I'll try to set you free, drop those weapons, that seems to take it out of his hands. It seems to take away from him being the hero. And he is supposed to be a hero. And it sounds like you're taking his weapons away oh, from okay. him. Oh, okay. Well, that's a good and idea. And he lives in darkness. Okay. That's so if he free. comes into the light, uh, you know, he might lose his powers. Okay. He's back there in the darkness where people need protection. So I'll try to set you but free. I thought it had something to do with the second paragraph, and we'll walk into the light. He's trying to figure out the weapons and see who he is. Mm. It just... I'll put a question mark on there. I can always put another sentence in there. If I saw him in daylight, I'd wonder what he was doing. If I saw him in the darkness, I'd say, hey, bud, <laughs> give me a hand here. I need some protection. I, uh, do you have another agenda in the poem, too, which is he's so very warlike. Would you well, actually no, like him to grotch, drop his weapons? Born of darkness, mm-hmm. born of night, if you give up all this fighting and everything and drop your weapons and we'll walk together in the light as comic art is meant to be because in comics they always have those kind of endings. Black spawn, black man, born of darkness, born of night, fight for justice when you can. Then we'll save the world together and make it right. But you have to come out of your darkness. Yeah, and, and doesn't don't old-fashioned Looney Tunes oh, always God, they, have an ending that's yeah, kind with, of happy. Right, exactly, with that little gets, thing that yeah. that's all folks and that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, no, I was brought I up. I thought with, as comic art was meant to be was where yeah, you were well, going that's, with that. Yeah, uh, well, I was brought up with this stuff, you know, everything. <laughs> Captain Marvel and all that other business. DC Comics, EC Comics. It's, you know, what's really such a shame, I, there's a comic book store on, over in Federal Hill called Alliance Comics. And I went in and I had a long talk with a guy, not just about this, but the whole thing. I said, well, don't kids read comics anymore? And he said, no. Well, no, they're not reading this, but he said, really, the market today is for kids like 18 to 24. And he said that a lot of what happened with comic books... He said a lot of it was, was killed during the McCarthy era, which I would remember, but he said there was a lot of opposition to these comics uh, years ago, which I can vaguely remember that they 
oppose comics because they wanted kids to read books and not to read this stuff. Not this, but, you know, things like uh, Captain Marvel and Donald Duck and what have you. And it really was. I mean, there was a warfare, and schools would get all bent out of shape if you come to school with comic books. I mean, it's, and they also hated Nancy Drew for some reason, too. I'm sorry. It's a Nothing is sacred. No. Oh, my God. I mean, it's a different, it's a different world to do. They, their schools did not like Nancy Drew for some reason. I mean, there was all this stupid prejudice. I mean, then you look at stuff like this and the violence and the gruesomeness and body parts coming apart and missile launchers and what have you. Uh, I mean, I, this is nothing like the comic books I remember as a child. I was Wonder Woman. So. No, but they were great. Wonder Woman and Sheena I of the totally, Jungle. Oh, she's, I mean, she's, Mary related, Marvel she's and, related to Spawn a little bit. Um, hey, quick, because, because we're running out of time like Matt. Um, we had just been talking about sonnets, and I just want you to notice that um, I, now I have been treated to shall I say, infinite numbers of, of versions of Kitchen of the Kitchen Window poem by Tim. And when he gets back in here, I'll get it to read it. But I, I, what I have here is the first version, and then he made it into a sonnet. Who'd have thunk it? But it's really interesting how sonnets can actually impose where, some where, kind where, where of order. And it's right after yours. Oh, okay. Oh, it's right after. Okay, there's skip the one by me. I'll, I'll take any comments if anybody wants to email me because I need this help. This is the black child? But this is Kitchen Window. But Tom's not in here, oh, here so. Um, oh, you made a sonnet out of it. No, no, Tim did. He made it. Oh, okay. So both of them are by him, but he's not right in the room right now. So why, why be Lost looking at it right sonnet. this minute? Um, let's go on because Paul Evans is here and he brought in a poem that um, is not based on last week because he wasn't here last week but it's kind of a really interesting poem and here we have it and uh, Paul would you give us a rendition and it's on the unnumbered page right above two versions of different of diffusion by Lolita has everybody found it Okay, so Paul, how about it? Oh, he had to leave. Okay, we all enjoy it. It's it's really it's it's kind of a delight. And then we let's go back to Tim's. Tim, we were. I was noting that um, I have here only the first version of the kitchen window poem, and it morphed into lust sonnet. Was this based on anything out there on the case? It, it was just, no, it was not. Mm. But it's very useful for workshopping on revision because he took, well, there were like, am I exaggerating to say there were 12 drafts? And then, you, so I just took the Maybe first one and the song. 22. Okay, I did not I exaggerate. Just got so I got frustrated. <laughs> that, uh... Okay, so read them both. And um, version, version one, all the intervening versions, I just didn't put in because life is short, and then um, the, the sonnet version. So if you just would read them both back to back, Tim, that would be great. Without blushing. Oh, blush if you want. It's okay. okay. Would we wear our shoes while in love with our conversations at the kitchen table where we are the best of friends? Would we leave the curtains open on the brightest summer day during the darkest thunderstorm? Well, there is every reason to hold tight when we might be frightened by what is outside. 
The window where we watch to see the birds rush up in a loud clatter. I don't know which version this is. It's the first one that you Whenever said. someone approaches along the sidewalk that looks in on two friends who love coffee and teas and sometimes sweet desserts. Hmm. I think that's the first time, one of the first versions when I noticed that it just didn't scan. I think I've read it out loud at Minas and thought, this does not scan at all. And that's when I started. And by scan, if in case anybody's wondering, could you explain what you well, mean by well, scan? Some, some type of meter where, where you can emphasize the syllables so that it flows uh, with a meter and a musicality or a natural feel for what you're saying. So that, you know, you know where to put line breaks so that you don't stutter the way I stuttered. It, uh, it's one of the ones, I, 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 I numbered it number 11 because there is a window in a house where I used to live, where a friend now lives, so I still see out this window. It doesn't matter where I am when I'm writing something about a view, if it's a bedroom, a living room, I always seem to be looking through this one kitchen window mm. on the house that I love the most. And you know that's another poem right there. Yeah. So write it. But anyway, at, while we, before, we've, before we've forgotten... What it sounded like when you had jottings down. Read the read the sonnet version, and we'll think about so the difference. So I decided that uh, if I couldn't get rhythm or musicality, one of the ways to do it is formulaic and uh, write a sonnet. And to be perfectly honest, I know that Clorinda likes sonnets, so and Rosalind does. I figured this is practice. This is workshop. Let her tear it apart for me. If we became lovers on days filled with rain. How then should we be when drinking teas with desserts? Having just had our vivre of peppermint tea, should we then choose a sweet chamomile for slumber? Since we had already loved the passions of flesh, then should we converse of well, then should we converse of best weathers for gardens, when the rain we needed was the lust we heeded. Mm. Our production of love in this guise we've chosen demands that we find odd ways in greeting ourselves. Hello, might I stop by for gardening advice? Or perhaps I shall stop by to get out of the, from the rain. All that we say when gathered round about others would have meanings for others and tundras for us. Our love and our lust, only to us would we trust. And once I got that far, I said, that's it. Hit the send button, give it to Clorinda. No, give it to us. So, what do you well, think? Comments here. on, on either version, on the difference between the one that has a much more rhythmic regularity. It is kind of iambic. It really is iambic sometimes, mostly. But it just it doesn't rhyme, but that's not a problem. No. Sonnets don't always rhyme. So, what do you think, folks? Comments of any kind? The word sounds the first one. What do you like? Hmm. Other comments? Because we don't have time to meditate Maybe and pray over the individual stop, comments. Start just it let's hear all that we can. I like the W sounds too. I didn't even Thank you. Does it, is it interesting to anybody else that the, yeah. the, the more overt passion 
came into the second one? Is it because of the sonnet itself seems to, to bring that, that kind of love sonnet? Well, I was hoping the second it? one would help me rewrite the mm -hmm. first because I don't really want a sonnet. I see. So you just thought the discipline of writing the sonnet. Right. A, B, C, D, E, F. Oh, is that what I wanted to say? Two friends who love coffee and teas and sometimes sweet desserts. I, I'm thinking that the teas, the, the, the shameless pun on teas, yeah. which maybe you didn't, but I'm sure you did intend, yeah. seems to me that's where it all came in. Yeah, Tamara. Which, which one, or both? Gosh, I can't carry a tune unless it's on the radio. How would it sound? How does it sound? How do you imagine it would sound? Well, just that little bit, I'm going to go back and work like heck on the first one. Does anybody want to tell Tim anything in either version that you'd be really sad to lose? Okay, I'm going to start. I want those shoes back, and um, but I love the hello. May I stop by for gardening advice, or please, shall I, you know, the sentence, the things we find odd ways in greeting ourselves. I would hate to see that go. That's just my thought. Any other thoughts about things in either that you really want to see gone, or that you'd really hate if they left? Yeah. yeah, I do. How do you feel about that? How do I feel? Uh, oh. No, Roslyn. I've been trying all my life to answer myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that seriously. I'm, I'm very, especially on matters of love, I'm very undecided. If we friends became lovers on days filled with rain, I mean, that's, I can think of at least half a dozen women right off that I've had as very, very good friends and we've sat at kitchen tables and had conversations rather than take the relationships any further. Maybe they were smart. <laughs> well, I think they were. I mean, I'll tell you, I'll say one thing about that. And no, I, I really, it's funny, but I I'm really think they were. speaking as a woman, I really had some wonderful friends with men, just wonderful. And as soon as they tried to step over and to turn it into something more, that was the end of it. Well, so maybe, maybe getting women the information try to step about over also, I should say. That's what? I'm sorry. What? The women that I have known have tried to step over also. Well, no, I'm sure yeah. it works both ways. But then you say the thing about hello, might I stop by for gardening advice? I mean, that sort of could play into that. Yeah, well, I, I wanted that uncomfortable feeling of when people think that you're lovers and you're not, and how do you respond? I also wanted that. You don't it have was, to. But in the poem, I wanted it, is what I'm saying. What, what if your sonnet just had 11 lines instead of 14? What if those last three lines just left? Which one's in? I just end with, or perhaps I shall stop by to get out for oh, the rain. Oh, God, that's beautiful. If the last three lines of the sonnet yeah, were, were disappeared, you're right, Florinda. That would be good. Hello, might I stop? Nothing by says I am. That has to be uh, a full yeah. sonnet, is there? Thank no. you. No, <laughs> you decide I'm going to write an eleven-line poem. 
but, the, what did I do to you the first year? But the other, the other thing, while, while you've got, while you've got us here, make use of us. Are there other things that you would like to come back into the sonnet, or other things about the sonnet you'd like to slide up into that other version when he when he revises them? Things you'd hate to see disappear. Well, That's here's one thing I'd like to see disappear: line number eight. Uh, oh, I forgot yeah. your name, Peter. Peter, when he said that it was contrived, I felt that in the second version, I had to add lines to bring it out to 14. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cut them. Cliched. Thank you. I didn't like demands. Yeah. Begs. Not the right number of syllables. Yeah. But I did like to find odd ways in greeting ourselves. Mm -hmm. I just, That's, I was hoping I could find a stay. way to write the language so that the question asked itself without having to be written in words. Yeah. Mm. You, you have no idea. Once I realized I was going to send this to Clorinda, I raced to the send button on the email. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that. Uh, Bring back the shoes. Bring back the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> the shoes are mm -hmm. They didn't. They didn't make it to the second version. I'm, I'm just now noticing that. Yeah. Get, we've, we, the, you've I mean, got lots of things to think about, and we have yeah. incredibly little time. And so I was wondering if Lalita, you'd read your, uh, your two versions of diffusion, <coughs> or. The, Oh, that's right. You, you. No, no. Do you do the one that you want to do? Do you think it would be useful just to listen to yourself reading it to the group and maybe have a moment for a few comments? Okay. Why not? Why not do that? Which one? Uh, the you, diffusion A and B. These are my science poems, and they're very hard to write in the sense that I want you're doing sciencey things, but I want it to sound, I want everybody to understand what, what the story is. Yeah? Okay. You're on. All right. Diffusion. <clears throat> like a bonbon. My students die tight, both ends of a dialysis tubing, 
filled with a starch and sugar solution for immersion in a beaker of water, spiked amber with iodine. They watch the tube turn sea blue, then bluer still. It's magical as iodine diffuses into the tube, turns the solution blue, then inky black. It's effortless, I say, the way molecules diffuse from high to low concentrations, as natural as balls rolling down hills with no expenditure of energy, as natural as a woman's perfume travels from her wrist to her lover's nostrils. My students test the water in the beaker, now sweeter with the sugar that diffused from the dialysis tube, the way we let sweetness leave our hearts and bitter enter it, turning it black. Um, now, when I wrote uh, the first, I wrote version B first because I I didn't know whether this the experiment discovered. If I were to ever get this, if I would ever get this poem published, I really need a beak. It's just so such a simple drawing would make it so easy. So, all right. So let me read the second one, which is. My students knot one end of a dialysis tubing, put in five milliliters of starch and glucose solution, tie tight the other end, and immerse the little bag in a beaker of water spiked amber with iodine drops. Slowly the bag turns sea blue and bluer still as iodine diffuses into the bag, turning starch dark as ink moving from high to low concentrations down its gradient, the way perfume travels from a woman's wrist to her lover's nostrils, or rosemary sprigs perfume the kitchen sill. My students learn how glucose diffuses out, of the, ba- out the bag, sweetens water in the beaker, moves from high to low concentrations down a gradient, the way honey swirls thick in the center. But starch, molecules too large, are trapped within the bag, the way grief, blue-black blocks of sorrow, are trapped within the heart. I love how molecules go down gradients naturally, with no input of energy, the way I want my days to be. No pumps, drips, computer chips, just simple diffusion. Actually, I like the first one. Why do you use? Why do you have to use the word dialysis? Because you're you're telling about something that could be anything in a diffusion experiment. I get the, the dialysis is a technical term that sort of proves. No, those tubes that we use in the experiments are called dialysis tubings. Okay, well, see, I don't know that. Yeah, so that's that, I, but you're right. It conjures I mean, up some other. You, unless you know that. I mean, I thought, I didn't know what you were talking about. I mean, I got the picture, and I loved the picture. I thought it was marvelous, because I adore science. But I didn't know what dialysis tubing was. But just oh, just tubing without the dialysis, I think, would have done it just fine. In fact, I, I like it very much. Yeah, you make, you make a really good point, because dialysis, immediately you think of, it's called that. Yes, yeah, that's exactly what I want because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm as a teacher. That's the, that's the word I'm using all the time, and I 
Vaya. Okay, that's great. Thank you. But I wanted to be reminded I was in a classroom. Hmm? I, I wanted to be reminded I was in a classroom doing science. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe so another I, word besides, because dialysis is too technical. I mean, I think you're talking about something in science, you know, this I've done experiments like that, too, and how you could take that image of diffusion and how the molecules travel with so little energy and compare it with the, with the perfume, I thought that was marvelous. When you say like a bonbon, do you mean? I, I, didn't, get the, I didn't get the visual, let's put it that way. Yeah, like a bonbon is exactly that. It's right. a, the, so what the students do is this is the dialysis tubing. They tie this one end like this. They put five milliliters of glucose sugar. And they tie the other end like this. So it looks like a bonbon. So besides the fact that it's a great visual image and very specific to what the students are doing, there had, it, wasn't there another reason why you added a candy in there? Another reason why I added? Because A is the more recent version, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, sweetness like, is the so sugar. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just start out with sweetness. Yeah, yeah. I did. I just I wrote the f B version first because I was trying hard. If people didn't visualize it, then it's going to be a problem. Where who's going, what, and where, and so much. And then uh, later, I thought that I'm actually doing too much with it. That I can keep the starch molecules out, and and then. It takes a turn. I'm talking then about something else, which is how I want to not be kept alive. You know, I just want life like diffusion. So it was a different poem, but um, I don't know. I, 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 it's a longer poem, and I don't know which one. You like the first I one I definitely more. like the first one. If you... The dialysis threw me because I couldn't visualize. But I, other than that... Once I saw what you were doing, I thought it was fabulous because I love science. I really love science. And I think you got some audience response at the end of it. With, I think you got some size because... Um, yeah, I did get some size. Because like, it was a... Because the first one is so much more concentrated on the sweetness. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, what, I heard, yeah. I heard a, a, a tamarind sigh and I heard a buzz. Um, I think it's very good. I, I think you're reaching to break down, you know, the energy of what you're talking about, something you're very familiar with. And I really think you're making that attempt. I get that feeling. I like the first one. And um, are, you, are you attempting to make some of this metaphoric? Oh. Well, yeah, I think she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Sure. Symbolic. Um, uh, is, is sim uh, yeah. yeah. Um, otherwise, it's very dull. I mean, who cares if a, who cares if something's going from one tube to another? I have to bring in. I I teach it this way. The students don't care well, you either. You read by the a way. poem like that? Hmm. You read that poem in your class? No, I just wrote it and I just oh, oh, retired. I but my, but I've but I've taught a lot of science reading poems in my class, and I use these imi this image. Students don't, 15-year-olds don't want to hear about who's going what and which bag and all. But as soon as you say, like, perfume, you start, yeah. I said, how do you think your boyfriend smells your perfume? And everybody sits up. And then I can describe it. So, yeah, you have to be, uh, I use it in my teaching all the time, these kinds of images. The girls don't want to hear. 
Well, they better start listening if they uh, want to have a career in science. Oh, they, well, no, they do, they do. But I'm saying you, it's my job to make it interesting. Well, you're comparing Tamara, one you thing with another, say? which is very good. Tamara, what were you about to say? For the podcast. Oh, for there's a podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, did you bring out exactly what kind of experiment this was in here? In B, yeah. I did it more in B uh, by saying what was in the two, five minutes more. So were they testing? Happens in 30 minutes. You see the blue bag getting blue. What is it called when someone speaks from the heart, from the, from within oneself? Diaphragm. No, no, no. no. But I thought I that's what he was trying to demonstrate from, too. With your feelings, your emotions, when they come Gut. from internal. No, it's it's our our inner humors. It used to be thought that emotions came from within the body. Uh -huh. There's a specific term for that. Well, that's, liver, what, that's liver. what this makes me think of, which hmm. is why I like the idea of the dialysis, the science, and the way that it turns that bitterness at the end with the sweetness in the beginning, so that you have both the scientific backing and the inner emotions. Yeah, uh, that's what I, of course, that's what I'm I get home and in the middle of the night, I'm going to think of the word I mean, the internal emotions. Email us. <laughs> had an emotion attributed to it, and there is a term for those. Well, the humors, but you already said that. Well, the humors, yeah. The that's humors, humors, yeah. But there's another one. Oh, it's left as well. Yes, but each organ was... So I want we actually are running out of time. So what I wanted to suggest is you've got some handouts here that uh, we haven't had a chance to look at, and um, I wanted I want to make a recommendation because of course we won't be meeting again. But I was thinking, gee, if we were going to be meeting again, not only could some of these poems use your comments, but there's some snippets. Like I liked your snippets, Joel, and so uh, there there there's th things there that that not only do I think you're probably going to make stuff out of, but maybe some of us could steal from them too. And do you have the little page that has just the two, the two, little, the two little notes? Oh. Yeah, yeah and could you, could you just read them to us? Because they were just notes from the first two times, but it you seemed like they were going account. somewhere. Yeah, he got two copies of Froggy. Here you can take this. Yeah. And then we've also got a prose sure. poem sure. by, by Rosalind that goes with a great illustration. Hang on one second, because Joel has found his two little bits, and, you, and just read them to us, and we'll go. Uh, you can go ahead and finish if you want to, ma'am, or should I start? Sure. Sure, sure. sure. Yeah. All right, um, the first week, um, it's called Imagery. The fire which changed me. The same 365 degrees which purified my soul, helping me to express my thoughts. Delicate, pure, 
romantic, insane, amusing onto a sheeting paper. This is the second one from the last week. It's called Our Banner, Our People. We've been chained, beaten, stripped of our dignity, jailed, killed for no reason, misunderstood by others, hated and feared. But our flag proudly waved. We marched, sing, loved, danced, praised God, laughed, and fought for beauty and died for her grace. Yes, we're flying our flag, which is interwoven with the glory of ancient greatness in these united, cohesive togetherness places called America. That sounds like it's almost finished. But anyway, I just thought, I thought that first one too had so, so many little gems that, yeah. that, that were worth taking further too. I hope you do. Yeah, I wrote the first one because um, I have a little story. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it short. It was um, there was an actual fire in my childhood home at the um, Reverdy Road, and I was 13 years old. And uh, it happened on um, April the 10th of 2000, so I remember the actual date of it. And you know, dropped the um, match on the bag and. And uh, I was just so scared at the thought that, you know, a fire would happen in my house. And um, it just changed me. And it just scared the living crap out of me. But over time, I learned how to use that terrible mistake. Now, luckily, um, most of my my family was downstairs at the time. Um, The fire was upstairs and, you know... He brought the whole upstairs. Downstairs was good and everything. So, you know, it just changed my life. And like two years later, I started writing and everything. And, um, you know, it just it just changed who I am. And the second one, I looked over the entire um Exhibit, which is very beautiful, it tells about our history and thought about my ancestors and thought about my grandfather and you know and I just wrote it because you know it, like I said last week it made me think about that um song that my church used to sing every Sunday in February and it's the song "Lift Every Voice" to sing by James Weldon Johnson, which was reminds me of the uh, Star Spangled Banner itself, our national anthem, of course. So. Yeah, that pure, not almost like purification by fire. I mean, what a, oh, wow. I, we, since I have the, I'm the one that has the color copy yeah, of, of Froggy. Yeah, that's uh, Froggy. That's, no, this is, this is an ecrestic that, that Rosalind was, did because, yeah. you tell. Yes, this is just, uh, I'm trying to step, this is a draft of, into short story. And um, I've done a lot of prose, but I, I wanted to share this and get some comments on it to kick it off. And um, I can pass that down that way. This is a picture of Froggy. Froggy and me. Froggy was handed to me on a cold day at the senior center. I jumped at the way it landed in my hand and simply fell in love the fit in the curve of my spiny hand. It felt warm, and the color, a soft, alluring blue, brought a quick calm to the senses. 
the small black eyes engaged with an automatic mirror magic of reflecting emotions. Within minutes, I was in the presence of the creator, a very tall man with fixed features and oblong appendages. Froggy's creator made a vivid impression as our hands met. I felt a webbed clammy effect, for in his softer eyes, I saw a remarkable genteel spirit. The retired Dr. Bob is around 85 or 90, so I'm told. We had crossed paths in the ceramics painting class, and that's how Froggy got his name, and suddenly leaped into my open creative mind space. Observe closely Froggy and Dr. Bob's detailed crafting. A very interesting wink may leave you mesmerized. If, if, you, if you look at Froggy as and he goes And this is Froggy. Around. So oh, that is Froggy. That's the ceramic piece. But the picture, I take pictures all the time, captivated me because if you look at the picture, one eye is winking or has a very human effect. It's, where did I pass it? Good. Yep, and there he is now. That's yes. That was a, that's so I just want nice. your comments on that. Uh, that little short story. I am going into uh, short story writing, and um, I just wanted to share that with you this evening. Um, I wrote this uh, just last week. It took me about a half hour. Oh, that's a piece that was given to me that I explained. Yes. Yes. But um, I had a lot of questions as I read that about your connection with the the the, the, the donor, doctor. And, yep, the and, donor. And, and the object, and I was wondering if anybody else did. I didn't quite get the connection with the doctor. Well, actually, he's a scientist, and he's 85 or 90 years old, and he makes frogs now. That's his pastime. So I think there's in that just the you know the interchange of that. That's an interesting piece to me to develop into something more, even a short story. You were nodding, Sherry. Yeah. Pardon me? Faye, did you have your hand up? You look like you did. Okay. Well, I'm thinking, Lolita, as a, as a scientist, I mean, I love it that this doctor is making frogs now. Because where do you start when you're fantastic. in high school? What are you cutting up? Yeah. And, and, and yeah. Yeah. So I'll continue to write uh, some more sequels about. Is there perhaps a whole collection of people at the center where yes, there the is. doctor is? Yes. And um, it's a senior center. Yeah. Yeah, it's not far from here. And um, this is the one that I got from the gentleman. And I just think, you know, you can take an object like that and develop it into something very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a statement uh, about our society. Um, and if you listen carefully, I was probably describing a frog and the 90-year-old gentleman. That wink. Yeah. That winks, yes. Yeah. He does it all the time. Yeah. Um, thank you for letting me share. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, I am very sad to say that this is our last meeting, and uh, it's been very good for me. I, I have been, I have been much more at home in my own creative head from being with you all, and I appreciate that very much. Will you be doing another class? Huh? 
if, if they ask me, but yeah, I mean, I, I do workshops from from time to time. But this, well, the Pratt is great. The, the, what it, what Pratt brings for people is amazing. So. Oh, thank you. Oh my gosh. Hi. Um, Another wonder. I didn't oh. even. I didn't even. I, I can't see where the I know, door. I, I, I came in the middle, it. and I apologize. But I just wanted to say thank you um, on behalf of the this library. This is Shailene Byer. I'm Shailene. Sorry, um, but this. I only sat on a little bit tonight, but I know all the workshops have been really wonderful, and um, so thank you, um, Clarinda. Let's give her. A thank round. you. Thank you for making it possible.